Well, good morning. We are in our series, Arrival. And if you haven't been here, kind of what the, um, the, the theme of the series is, is not just looking back. And that's kind of what we do at Christmas time. We look back and we're very nostalgic and we think about when it was Christmas as a kid. And we have all these warm, fuzzy memories and those things. And that is fine and appropriate. But uh, during this series, we're trying to look back not just to stay in the past and like wish that we were in a time long ago, but instead we're looking back to understand what God is doing and what he has promised us moving forward. And so that's kind of uh, the theme of our series here is looking at the arrival the first time and see how it gives us pictures and pushes us to understand Christ's arrival that he promised the second time. And so, um, uh, today we're going to continue on in that series. Um, this past week, I had an unexpected arrival at my house, and um, it was uh, a stray cat that was hanging around at my house. And like any good pastor, um, it's important for me to weave in like stories like that into my sermon. And so uh, we'll, we'll try to do that today. But uh, there was this cat, and it was about like Tuesday or so, and all of a sudden we were just at home, and we're kind of like cleaning up from dinner and getting ready for bed. And on our back porch, it was like this cat that was just sitting there and just kind of tapping at our back uh, window. And we we're like, um, or our back... Uh, a sliding glass door and we're like oh my you know what's going on I'm sure it'll probably go away and we looked at it and just persisted and it just sat there and was just kind of like knocking almost on the door like let me in I'm desperate here it's getting cold outside and um, after a little while we tried to ignore it but it stayed there and it kept persisting our dog was enamored by it our daughter was enamored by it as you can imagine uh, she's like had a couple of names already picked out immediately and she wanted to bring it in and adopt it but it was like we looked at it and it was like uh, looked like it'd been outside for a little while looked like there was bugs kind of circling around we're like I don't know about this and our son is probably allergic to cats so we're like we cannot bring this cat in it may be a neighborhood cat we're going to be stealing somebody's cat but we did eventually relent and we put out a little bit of food which was our first mistake i totally understand this but the cat was like skin and bones and it was like desperate and it was crying for help so we we gave it a little bit of food and we were hoping that that would be the end of it well the next morning the cat was sleeping right on our front porch and was just kind of hanging out. And we're like, fantastic. It looks like we have a uh, new friend here. Um, I, I left for work and, you know, I work at the school and it was about the middle of the day. Uh, I heard over the radios, which we have, he said, uh, let's make sure we keep those kids away from that cat that's roaming around. I was like, I know that cat. Uh, that is my stray cat. And um, we heard that on the radio. I went out there later and saw kids like wanting to pet it and all these different things. Um, and again, that night came home and the cat was ready for our arrival, was sitting there at our front porch, ready to go and ready for uh, its second meal from us. Um, and... We gave it its second meal from us that night again and uh, uh, posted on Facebook pictures, tried to find the owner. We were trying to like see if it was any of our neighbors, different things. And um, here's, here's a little side lesson that I learned. This has nothing to do with anything else. But if you post 
like, you know, something like that on Facebook, uh, get ready for everyone, like in the entire neighborhood, to give you advice on what you should do. And I'm like, this is not my cat. This is not something that I was planning on here. You know, you should go, and this is what you should do. This is how you should, you know, I'm like, Oh, boy. You know, I, like, thanks. I got a to-do list from all of our Facebook friends. I'm like, come on by. It's your cat. Go ahead. Uh, it's not something that I was planning on dealing with. But so I'm responding to Facebook posts. I'm trying to figure out whose it is. There's people sending me pictures of, of cats that got lost six years ago somewhere, like, in Commerce City. And is this the cat? No, it's not the cat. Um, and things like this. The next day... Again, I'm back at work, and I'm out on the playground watching kids, and here comes the cat. And there's a crowd of kids gathering around, and they're feeding the cat like, like goldfish. Not real goldfish. The cat would have probably appreciated gold, but little, the little crackers, and they're like feeding it Takis. Anybody know what Takis are? It's like spicy, like Cheeto kind of stuff, and I'm like, don't feed the cat that. And they're like, this cat is like loving it and like eating all this crazy food. Um, and so I'm like, all right, tonight's the night. I'm taking this cat to the animal shelter. We've given it a little bit of time. We were hoping it would go home, but I need to take it to the shelter and try to figure out who the owner is. So I got the cat in our little dog kennel, drove it over to the shelter after work, showed up at the shelter, uh, and... Uh, came to the front door. It said it was open till six. The website said, come on by. And there was, the doors were all locked. And I was trying to figure it out, trying to, trying to get in. And finally, somebody kind of saw me hanging around and looking for another door. And they came out and said, well, we were kind of busy today. We had some training and stuff. And so we're not going to open and take any cats or take any animals. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I, I, and I almost... This is what I had in my head, but I didn't do that. I almost just dropped the cat right there and said, hey, guess what? Look, you guys got a stray cat out in front of your property. Uh, what are you guys going to do about it? I don't know whose cat this is. It's not my cat and just drove off. But instead, I just kind of looked at the person working there and went. And took the cat back, uh, back home. Um, and that night it was supposed to be about like 16 degrees my daughter was like, the cat is going to freeze. Um, I don't know what the name of the cat was this day, but she had another name for it. So I was like, okay. We said, the cat can sleep in the kennel, in the laundry room, but it's not getting out and running through the house. Um, uh, my mom is texting me saying, you know, what, what's going on with the cat? You need to adopt the cat. Here's what kind of cat food you should get. I'm not adopting the cat. I don't want a cat. And um, so that's... Night three with our friend uh, that showed up at our house. Uh, the next day, we, uh, we let the cat out. And um, at some point in time during the day, my son saw some people kind of walking around and looking around. And he, then he saw them walking off with the cat. Uh, optimistically, and for the sake of the story, we're going to assume that these people were the owner of the cat. Okay, not like, um, you know, cat thieves or, or something like that. Or maybe they were Christmas shopping. I have no idea for their kids. But finally, the cat made it home. And the tragic three days of the cat and the cat roaming around the playground and getting fed talkies by uh, elementary school kids and uh, us kind of 
uh, not letting it in, half letting it in, were over, and the cat finally was reunited. Isn't that special? Everybody should say, oh, the cat finally found its home. Um, but I, as I was thinking about it and I was looking at it, you know, this cat, the whole time, we, were, we really didn't want to have much to do with it. The cat uh, was was something that we didn't want to take in. But this cat was so desperate that every night he was reaching out and trying to find and trying to figure out someone that would take care of him because on its own, it was in trouble. And I was reflecting on that as I was thinking through kind of like our experience in life and even the Christmas experience in particular is that there's so many times that people are really searching for something tangible, something significant, something substantial that will like give them direction and guidance in their life. That will give them hope for what their life should be. That will give them like a place where it's like, I'm finally home. I know where I'm supposed to be. I'm well taken care of. And sometimes, I've seen it so many times in different people's lives, people so desperate for that, that they'll cling to anything. And they'll find anything to hold on to, to give them a little bit of hope. And it's kind of like they're, they're eating Takis from elementary kids instead of at home where they should be. And at Christmas time, it's particularly interesting because we do have a lot of these sentimental feelings and we do have these memories and we do have all of these things that we want to hold on to. And sometimes it gets really, really crazy and out of hand with, you know, just all the, all the materialism, all the parties, all that stuff that people are trying to like hold on to because man we want the season to like give us some kind of hope and sometimes it's just not sufficient it's not what really is important and so in the scripture we have uh, all these different pictures during this time of year that many times we focus in on we focus in on the story. We focus in on Mary, Joseph, the baby, the shepherds, the wise men. And that is appropriate to do. But today I want to take a little bit different angle at it and look at the substance of it. Something that you can really hold on to and tangibly say, this is why it's important. This is why this message and this season is something that I can put my hope in. And so we're going to look at a portion of scripture that I don't think I've ever preached upon because it would be what we would consider the most boring part of scripture in the Bible. It's, it's a page turner in the wrong way. Okay, It's like the portions of scripture that you get to, and if you're like reading your Bible, you just page turn. You just go right by them because it's, it feels so irrelevant to our lives. But this is how the story is set up in the Bible and for a very important specific reason. And so if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at the, the, the opening to the book of Matthew that precedes kind of the Christmas story where he's really laying a foundation that is important for us to remember. Something substantial, something significant, something that we can like rest um, you know, like reside, our faith can reside in because it's, it's more than just kind of like um, the superficial side of Christmas. So um, uh, this is the genealogy 
of Jesus, the Messiah. Isn't that exciting? Who's pumped up to read the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah? Wow, that was, that was uh, rousing. Um, no, but seriously, what this is, it's a beautiful balance that the scripture gives us. There is this portion and this setup that gives us historical context and a lot of pictures of exactly why this is really significant, especially for the, t- the people that lived in this time and place. And, and it gives like kind of this archaeological family tree and a snapshot of the entire Old Testament saying, look, it's all led up to this moment. And that's, that's kind of the balance of it. There's, of course, the story that we always love to talk about. And the story is interesting and captivating and you can make movies out of it. This is not part that you can make a movie out of. But this is a, the balance of where the scripture says there's a historical context. There's a historical root. And the person of Jesus Christ comes within that mix. And Jesus is a historical figure. In history, which is really important. It's something that is real and tangible. And it's not like just some kind of story that is made up to kind of put people at peace. It has this context. So it says um, this. Um, And this is going to be the most challenging uh, reading that I have. Is because I have to read all these names, which you know I'm not very good at. But I'm going to do it because I I care about all of you so much. All right. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And this is kind of the heading in verse 2 and the first section of this scripture. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salomon. Salomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David, section one. Got it? Got all of them down. You know exactly what he's talking about right there. This is a page turn. Like I said, page turn. Okay. The next section says this. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. You can't say that. The father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of uh, Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzzah. Uzzah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jekyll. I can't say that one. His brother at the time of the exile to Babylon. That's section two. Got it? Man, this is good stuff, right? Okay, verse 12. After the exile to Babylon... uh, I can't say that one, was the father of, I can't say another one, Uh, the father of Zubarel, Zubarel, the father of uh, Abaha, I don't know, the father of Elakim, this is the tough part, Elakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, 
Elohud, the father of Eliezer, the father of uh, Mathon, Mathon, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. All right, well, that just kind of speaks for itself right there, doesn't it? Um, that is enough to brighten your Christmas uh, season and um, to kind of give you warm feelings, doesn't it? No, but this is how the story is introduced. And what we do in our context, in our time, we just skip it. Because we can't read the names, and we thought the names were weird, you know, like nowadays. We thought, like, the weird spellings of Kaylee. Kaylee can be spelled 79 different ways. Like, we thought that that was weird, but, like... Just a bunch of names that don't mean that much to us. We may catch a name here or there that is significant. But you have to understand the time and place that they're in. Where they say, look at what's happened. That God was working through human history and all of these generations and all these people that the people in that time and place had a good concept of and were taught about. And God was doing something that is finally coming to fruition. There is around 300, 300 different prophecies about the coming of Jesus in the Old Testament. That is pretty profound. 300 prophecies all throughout the Old Testament saying that, look, there's something that is coming. Look, the arrival will come. Look, we promise it will go uh, a, a different way and that God has a plan. It's not just random. What you're going through has a purpose. There is a direction for human history and it's going to be fulfilled. Like 300 of, 300 of those kind of promises throughout scripture. And these people were all kind of, kinds of the people throughout it. They were a part of like, like, one step in every generation that, that brought this to be, the arrival of Christ. And so let's look at kind of these three sections, and I'm not going to belabor it, but I want to look at kind of these sections to, to understand the context and why it was so significant to the people in that day that they had these lists and they understood what God was doing. So the first section is the promise of the descendants of Abraham. So it's, that first section talks about Abraham, starting in verse 2, and the people that followed him. And we, we see in the scripture, this is really kind of where the historical picture of the nation of Israel emerges, is Abraham is called by God and given a promise by God that you know, will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It says in Genesis 12, one through three. See how quick I am, because I didn't mark it. Genesis 12, one through three says this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your great name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed 
through you. And it's talking about his family line, and there's more promises that come in Abraham's life. But it's talking about the fact that he will have a son, and he will have a descendant. And the, re the reality of that descendant is that it will be a blessing to the entire world. And so this is the, the beginning of this picture. Is it's a promise thousands of years before Christ saying that there is a, a plan that God has, and I make you a promise. I make you a promise that your family line will be a blessing, and not just a blessing, but a blessing to the entire world. And that's what Abraham resides on, and Abraham focuses on. And actually, in other portions of Scripture, we have that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God promises each of them, Isaac and Jacob, and he kind of repeats his promise multiple times in the scripture and the new testament looks at it and remembers that and says you will be a blessing for the entire world and so that's the first section there and so there's people looking back and remembering all the stories all of the things that took place and when one faithful man listened to god's call and what god uh, asked him to do and followed him god made the promise that he would do something through his family line and look, it's happening. God kept, made a promise and he kept it. The second section is talking about um, David. And this is kind of a different era in the nation of Israel. That first era was kind of just establishing kind of the people. And they came out of slavery and uh, after Abraham. And, and Moses led them to the desert. And Joshua led them into the promised land. But then there was this era where these kings emerged, and that's the section that the second, section, second section of genealogy talks about, David. And, you know, it's interesting in recent times, actually just within our lifetime, there's been some uh, findings about David. There have been some archaeological findings, and they've dug stuff up that said, talked about this was, you know, uh, applied to King David. And there's, there's like been historical roots and some of those things that have been found just in our time and era. That David was kind of that picture of that era where the nation was established and God was fulfilling his promises in that way. And then in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a covenant with David. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings. See, I gotta mark this stuff. Second Samuel chapter seven, verse twelve. It says this when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build the house for my name, and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken from him, as it was taken away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So God promises David that you will, there is a kingdom that will emerge and David is, is crowned king and your kingdom will last forever. That is a pretty bold statement. 
And uh, that's the second section that we look at. The third section is also interesting. Is that the third section in the book of Matthew talks about this era of exile. And so there was this, this time where there was uh, kingdoms, there was good kings, there was bad kings, but there was like some power and prestige and there was some rule and people like David uh, did some impressive things. But then there was a season of time where the people were kind of, were exiled, were, were enslaved, and it looked as though it was possible that the nation of Israel would pretty much kind of go away. And can you imagine that era and that time when you're in exile and you're like, like your whole race is kind of like on the brink and then these are the times where there's all kinds of different prophetic people that emerge and talk about the coming Messiah. And there's lots and lots of different references all throughout these prophetic uh, writers in the Old Testament that point to Jesus and say, you know what? It's hopeless right now, but there is a time that is coming that will be different and something will take place. And, you know, there's... There's just multiple, multiple passages, and I just want to buzz through a couple of them. Um, uh, that the Bible promises about Jesus' birth. Um, uh, he promised that the nations would be blessed through Abraham, and I already read that portion of Scripture. And in the book of Acts chapter 3, it talks about how that was fulfilled. So in Acts 3, it says, Your heirs of the prophet and God's covenant may uh, with your fathers, he said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him to you first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So the author in Acts is talking about how this was fulfilled. Um, God's covenant with Isaac, Abraham's son. Uh, it was in the Bible and it was uh, in the book of Romans. They talk about how it was fulfilled. In Romans 9, 7, it says, because your descendants... Um, they are all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And it's quoting the Old Testament scripture. Um, there's a promise to Jacob, Isaac's son. And in Luke chapter 3, it talks about how that is fulfilled. In Luke 3, 34, it says, The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, um, is, uh, this is fulfilled. Um, it talks about in the Old Testament how uh, this kingdom will come up through the nation of Judah. And in the book of Genesis, it gives that uh, prophecy, and that is fulfilled, and it's the line of Judah that Jesus comes from. And um, that is referenced in the New Testament. It talks about how David's offspring will have an eternal kingdom. I read some of that from 2 Samuel, and it's here in Matthew 1 that it says that it's from the son of David, the line of David. In Isaiah, there's a prophecy that talks about a virgin birth. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And of course, that is a part of the story in Matthew and Luke as Jesus arrives. Um, the virgin birth, but also the name Emmanuel to point to who Jesus was, God with us. It says in the Old Testament that Christ will be born in Bethlehem. And in, in Micah, it says, You, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who is ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old. 
from ancient times. So saying there's a history, there's a plan, there's all this genealogy that has taken place that leads up to this moment. And that is fulfilled in the story of Christmas as Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem and they give birth to Jesus there because they're following um, this. They're, they're being registered because of the census. So there's all of these pictures over and over. All of these promises that God makes and then promises God fulfills. Promises God makes all throughout this history and time. And sometimes we just, we rush to it and we forget about this. But we need to stop and reflect and, and realize God gave us clear pictures to make sure that it's rooted in history and time. That there's people that lived, historical figures that we know and we can see. There's a historical context that it was laid for all this history and all this time. There was these events that took place to point to the birth of Jesus. And all the people afterwards were reflecting on it. And they were just saying, can you believe it? So the reality is that in our time, maybe we flip by this. And we get, you know, we want to hear about the angels and we want to hear about all this other stuff. And we flip by it. But I want us to pause and realize that in this time, in this era, when they read the first chapter of the book of Matthew they were blown away. They were like, can you believe it? This is what they were like enthralled by. And they were like, wow, all of this that takes, took place, all of the promises that were made, it's coming true. It's coming to pass. God has done this. And so there's so many different times where, you know, maybe, maybe we vacillate, maybe we have um, different times where, our, our faith is a struggle. But God gives us this balance, this beautiful balance in Scripture to say, you know what, yeah, there are this story that maybe it even just feels kind of magical and mystical and inspirational, but also you have to understand there's a history behind it that is rooted in real factual things, that is rooted in like a history that we can know, discover, and understand, and we can see that God gave us these signs and these pictures to demonstrate exactly what he was doing. And this is what many of the New Testament people were just amazed by. And they, were, they, they kept writing about it over and over and over to say, it happened, it's real. And then, what their testimony to the world was this, is Jesus came, he fulfilled all of these things. He died and he rose again. And he said he's coming back. And so now in our time and era, we see these pictures. And we like, maybe time has passed. And we like, may, don't spend enough time thinking about all that has led up to it. And we think, okay, you know, is that really going to happen? God makes a promise. God fulfills a promise. When God says something will happen, it will be fulfilled. God has laid a history to set, tell us when he promises something, it will come true. And what he promises us for the future, it will come true. So this season, it's my hope for you and it's my hope for, for me as well. That we're not like basing our life and basing our faith, you know, kind of like on hopes and wishes. We're not just like kind of basing what, what we stake our life on, on things that are just, 
You know, like, we're, we're kind of like that cat on the back door, like, I hope somebody will take me in. I hope somebody will give me an answer. Somebody will give me direction. Something will happen. No, what we do in our faith is we know that our, we can stand securely and firmly in God's promises. That when God says something, that is for real. That we are truly home. That we are truly have hope. That we have truly have something that we can focus our attention on. And we can put our faith in. And so Christmas kind of seems like, in some ways, um, not that substantial of a thing. But this story right here is giving us kind of the meat of the story. And saying this is something that is firm historical, and you can put your faith and hope in because God has done it before and he will do it again. And this is the promise that we all have. So the scripture tells us this story, and this is what we look to now. And this is the promises that have been made to us. Christ came to earth. He died, and that death was real. The cross was real. Jesus lived. He's a historical figure in history that walked this earth. That Christ, Christ's resurrection was real. And the people who lived in that time testified to that to everyone they came encounter with. They went and told the world and they gave up their lives proclaiming that they saw Christ die and they saw him risen again. And that Christ, after his resurrection, said, um, I will return. And so Christ made these promises, and I have confidence that those promises will be fulfilled. Because when God says something, that's what he will do. So in this season, it should be a season of joy. It should be a season of anticipation, and it should be a season where we look forward, not just back where we recognize that God is doing something in this world. And there will be a day where Christ returns. Will you pray with me? God, we live in a very superficial world. And we get captivated by a lot of things that are really not that important. We spend time like recounting Christmas movies and watching different things that are just really not substantial at all. But God, thank you for giving us this balance and this substance and this tangible story rooted in history with all of these promises made and promises kept. God, thank you for showing and demonstrating clearly what you're doing in this world. And God, I pray that we'd pay close attention to that. We'd hold on to those things. We'd search the scriptures and search our own hearts to make sure that we're holding on to things that are substantial and real and tangible. So God, as your scripture says, be ready because I will return.
I pray right now that you'd help us to be ready. That we'd cry out to you, we'd humble our hearts. We'd say, God, forgive us of our sins. I invite you right now just to offer your own prayers. Understanding and recognizing that the story of Christmas all all throughout the movies that you hear about is just a bunch of kind of magical, almost kid stuff. And the story in scripture is a substantial picture of what God is doing in this world. It's rooted in history, rooted in time. Something that you can stake your life on. Say, God, thank you. Thank God for giving us this substance. And cry out to God and ask for him to come into your life.